Open your Bibles with me, please, once again to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We've been in a series together that we're call, calling Established in the Faith. And the Lord spoke to us um, at the end of last year, moving into this year, that this is a part of the work that he desires to do in our lives. According to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says, May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So we believe that when God says, hey, I want to do this work in your life, we say what? Go right ahead. Amen? He says, I want to bring a perfecting work into your life, an establishing work, strengthening and settling. Then let's let the God of all grace go ahead and do that for us. Amen? Amen. And we're seeing in the Word of God, uh, in various places, what a big thing we're we're looking at here. What, What a big thing it is. For him to do this work in our life, this perfecting work, and now we're talking about his desire, his will, his ability to establish us, to be established in the faith. And we see those words here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Look at them again with me. He said, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in In the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Look at it again. As you've received Christ Jesus, what are you supposed to do? Walk in it. Making Jesus the Lord of your life, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's the greatest thing. But salvation day was just the beginning. It wasn't the end of anything. Now what do you do? You walk in him. And I believe one of the things we're seeing through the course of this series, maybe I should say it like this, one of the things I'm seeing, and I don't know if this is helping you like it's helping me. And if it hasn't yet, can I recommend go back and listen again and listen again? As I go back and think about what the Lord's already said to us over these last four or five weeks, I'm starting to see some things I'd never seen before. And I'm understanding what's happening for us. He's making this simple for us. And if you're like me, you want that. You need that. I'm telling you what we're digging into together as a church family. There's help here. And it's helping me. I said it's helping me. And you're going, Pastor, you need help only every day? Only in big ways? Yes, I need help. Do I got any other honest people in this room that would raise a hand and say, Oh, God, I need help. That's not a surprise to him. Before Jesus left, he looked at his disciples and he said, There's a lot I'd really like to say to you guys, but you can't hear it. And sometimes I read that and I think, thanks a lot, guys, because we could have had more red words. We could have had more words from Jesus, but oh, Peter, you couldn't hear it. But but listen, there's no sense in judging any of them. He looked at those guys and he might as well have been looking you and me in the eye. And he said, what? You need help. So just say it. I need help. That's honesty, isn't it? Honesty to say, I need some help and I need the Lord's help. And this is what he's doing for us. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But specifically in this series where we've been talking about being established in the faith, he's helping us. He's helping us see just with this one verse right here. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. 
He's helping us see that the same thing you're born again with, the same thing you're born again by, is what you walk with God by. The same truth that saved you is the truth that you live by. And he made it so easy, he made it so simple to receive Jesus. But it takes religion and it takes a, a, a unscriptural, traditional way of thinking to convince you that living the Christian life is somehow complicated, complex and difficult. But what the Bible say, as you received him, walk in him. The way you received him is the way you walk in him or the way you walk with him. And he said, what happens as you walk in him, as you continue to walk with him, the result is you get rooted. You get built up and you become established in the faith. Now, those things did not happen the day you were born again. Many, many, many wonderful things happened on that day. But these things being rooted, being built up, being established, these things happen as you walk with him, as you walk in him. So if you're not walking with him, guess what else is not happening? Roots are not going down. You're not being built up. You're not being established in him. Now, now why is it so critical and important that we become established in our faith? Because the more established you are, the harder you are to deceive. The more established you are, the harder you are to trick. The harder you are to lie to. The more established in the faith you are, the harder you are to deceive. The more rooted you are, the harder you are to move. The more built up you are, the harder you are to knock over. That's why these things are so important. But here's the deal. You don't become established in anything because you did it once. Do you hear me this morning? That's not how you become established in it. You don't become established or rooted in anything because you did it one time or you tried it once a few years ago. Remember, if you think back several weeks ago when we first started digging into this study, we were talking about the word established and what it actually means. It means to be fixed. It could also mean to, to be made stable. But the word itself also literally means to turn resolutely in a direction and to take that direction. And the example I gave you was what I learned when I was going to flight school. And uh, when, when you're learning to fly and learning to take instruction from air traffic control, um, they will talk to you in critical phases of flight. And the critical phases of flight are takeoff, approach, and landing. This is where you need good communication from air traffic control. They see what you don't see. And there is, especially in that takeoff and departure phase of flight, you might be trying to go north, but because they see all the traffic around you, they might have you go east or west for several miles, from up to 10, 15 minutes sometime, depending on the traffic. But there will come at some point an instruction from the controller. Come on, I'm preaching now. 
There will come instruction at some point where they'll say, turn and head, you know, uh, three, six, that's straight north, or, or, or give you your desired direction, and they'll tell you to get established on course. That means turn in the direction you've been trying to go this whole time. The way is clear. You can now turn there and get established on course. Do you see the example there? Well, continuing, I guess, in the world of aviation, um, somebody doesn't go take a flight lesson and then say, okay, I'm established as a pilot. If somebody says, hey, I took my first lesson yesterday, want to go flying? What's your answer? Not yet. No. No, I, I totally flew the airplane. He let me hold the yoke and everything, and I turned left, and I turned around. I'm good. We're good, man. Come on. I'll rent the plane. We'll go. No. No. Why? Because just because you did it once doesn't mean a thing. Oh, come on. Are you hearing me this morning? Just because somebody did that once does not mean go get in the airplane with them. You don't become established in anything or as anything just because you did it once. You do it over. And over 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 again. And you know what? You and I in this nation, we ought to be very thankful because of the the training that the government, the FAA and different aviation agencies have put in place that require people to go through very extensive, very involved training. And before anybody ever flies, especially a commercial airliner, they've got a heap load of time and hours and experience before they let them fly anybody else, especially one of those big airplanes with a couple hundred passengers that you and I ride on. Aren't you, aren't you thankful that there's some rules in place that, that say, we want to make sure you're established as a pilot before you start flying people around. When I went to flight school, I moved out to Tyler, Texas for a couple of months. There was a flight school out there and I rented an apartment, me and a buddy, we went to flight school. We were in it all day, every day. And uh, the only thing was we weren't the only ones there. This flight school had contracts with other nations, Northern African nations, European nations. And they would send these young guys and girls, 19, 20, 21 years old, over here to this flight school and go through this crash course, no pun intended, of... <laughs> It's just airplanes day and night for, you know, six weeks or whatever it was. Send them back to their countries and they are the commercial airline pilots. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful. What do you, who, who do you want flying your airplane? You want somebody established, right? What I'm trying to say to you is that does not happen because you did something once. Because you tried something, like I said, a few decades ago. It happens as you walk in it, day in, day out. What about your fellowship and walk with the Lord? Huh? I mean, you were born again. That's wonderful. Praise God. We rejoice in that. But now what? Well, you want to be established in that fellowship, in that relationship with him? Better start walking. Start walking. And it's one step after another. I want to focus in on something he said here in this verse. He said in verse 6, as you have received. Everybody say the word received. received. As you have received. 
Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So again, the simplicity of this is saying, okay, how did I receive? How did I make Jesus the Lord of my life? And that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. But I want to add to it today. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And let's see specifically how we received him. Because once we find out how we received him, now we know how to walk in him. Now we know how to walk with him. In Ephesians chapter 2, let's read several verses. Why? Because I love it. Starting in verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1, he said, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You were established on the wrong course. Your, your course, you walked the course, he said, of this world. And what is that course? Well, it's the course Jesus talked about. When he said there is a, a gate that is wide and a road that is wide and broad, that leads to destruction. That's the course that you used to walk. And it was the course of this world. He said in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. In the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Just as the others, just like everybody else, you and I were no different. And he said that was our nature. By nature, we were children of wrath, just as the others. Some of the worst advice anybody could ever give another person is just do what comes naturally. You don't know what comes naturally to them. I, speaking of flying, when I moved out there to Tyler, Texas, I had an instructor, and man, this guy was mean. He was just, just a rough character, not patient, and I needed patience because for you know whatever reason, it wasn't sticking with me. I wasn't getting it. I wasn't comprehending it, which was so frustrating because you know I've got this grandfather who's been flying for like 60 years, and he's just one of the best there's ever been, and I'm sitting here struggling you know, with it, and I've got this instructor and we're out on a cross-country trip, and we're flying into this airport. And to make matters worse, he had this really, really thick Indian accent, which is fine until you get into a Cessna 172 with junky headphones, and you can barely hear anything, and he's yelling at you in this thick Indian dialect. And he's trying to say, okay, now what's your, what's your angle of attack? What angle are you going to enter the traffic pattern on? And then dad, he's going and going and going. I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I, just tell me. And he's getting frustrated with me. And he says, come on, just, just use some common sense. I'm like, bro, I drive everywhere. That's what's common to me. What was common to him was not yet common to me. You got to be careful who you tell to just do what comes naturally. Because they might be crazy. <laughs> that guy might be messed up. You don't want him doing what comes naturally. And there was a time in every one of our lives before we knew Jesus that we were by nature children of wrath. By our nature, we were disobedient. By our nature, he said, we fulfilled the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind, and there was nothing different about us. He said, but, 
Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, listen, by grace you have been saved. And, verse 6, raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, listen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that what this whole thing's been about? Getting established on the right course in your life. Not wasting another time, another moment, any more time walking down the wrong path, the path that leads to death. You want to be on the path that leads to life. And according to this passage right here, it was mercy that puts you on the right path. But did you notice what he said there? Gave you very specific words about how you were saved. What was it? Look at it again. What verse was it? Verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith. How did you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. By grace, through faith. Can you see that? Would you agree with that? By grace, through faith. Say it with me. By grace, through faith. That is how you received. That's how you were saved. I don't think that's new information to anybody in here this morning. You knew that, didn't you? It was by grace, through faith. By grace through faith. But if that's the way you were born again, if that's how you received Christ Jesus, how do you walk in him? By grace through faith. You received by grace through faith. Now walk by grace through faith. This is what our entire lives, church, this is what they're about right here. This is how we live this life as a believer, as a Christian. We were saved by grace through faith. We live every day. How? By grace through faith. And did you notice here he said it was a gift. It was not of yourselves. It was not your works that did it. It was a gift. That's what the word grace means. It literally means a gift. But here's the thing. Even though Jesus died and shed his blood for every man, woman, child on this earth, all that have ever been, all that are now, and all that ever will be, all have been redeemed. A price has been paid for every man, but not all are living in their redemption. We could agree with that, right? All have been redeemed. And the word redeemed literally means the price has been paid. The price has been paid for everybody. But I, would, I bet it wouldn't be hard for you to stop and think right now of at least two or three people you know that aren't living in that redemption, right? Even though the price has been paid. So what's the problem? Is it not God's will to save them? 
Come on, help me. Is it not? Is 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 it God's will that they not be saved? No, you know that. You know from the scriptures that God's not willing that any should perish. No, He wills for them to be saved. He's made a way for them to be saved. So what's the problem? Huh? It's not just the grace. It's the faith working with it. Grace gives the gift. Faith receives. Faith receives it. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Okay. Well, if you received him by grace through faith, how do you walk with him? By grace through faith. Now, here's the great news. God gave you Jesus as a gift. God, who is love, gave you Jesus, who is grace. But how did you receive that gift? Faith. See, God does not do things for us based on his will, just his will, just his ability. It requires faith. And the way you received Jesus is the way you receive from Jesus. Listen to me. The way you received Jesus is how you receive everything Jesus gives. It's the same way. It's by grace. It's through faith. My question to you this morning is, how good at you, how good are you at receiving? Are you a good receiver? Because if you're going to get anywhere with God in this life, we're going to have to be good receivers. We have to be. We've got to learn how to live by grace through faith. That's the way we're born again. And it's the way we live every day of our lives. Are you a good receiver? Well, you might think so, but listen to me. Our culture has conditioned us. Have you noticed this? To not be good receivers. When you try to give somebody something, have you noticed that there seems to be almost always this initial response of, oh, no, I couldn't. Oh, no, I can't. That's too much. That's too nice. I don't deserve that. I was praying over some of this yesterday, and I made a list in my notes, and I titled the list, Stupid Things People Say While Failing to Receive. (laughs) Things like I just missed. Oh, I couldn't. I can't possibly. That's too nice. That's too much. I don't deserve it. Okay, but I'll pay you back. And we're conditioned to not be good receivers. And this is not going to work with God. I said, this is not going to work with God. Sarah and I, years ago, were ministering in another country. And it's a long story. I'll I'll shorten it. Somewhere during the trip, I lost our passports. We were on a train, a two-hour train ride from one city to another. And the next morning I realized I don't have our passports. I won't tell you the whole story. It's an amazing story. But the short version is a guy who worked on that train found them, contacted me via social media and said, I found your passports. And we were rejoicing because, man, he saved me from a world of hurt, having to go to the embassy and trying to get home and so on and so on. It would have been an absolute mess. And I was so thankful he contacted me, so thankful he didn't turn my passports in like he was supposed to, because they would have confiscated them and cut them. I could have gone through so much pain and trouble. But this guy contacted me, said, I found them. I'll meet with you somewhere. Well, of course, I was very excited. And the pastors that were hosting us, I was like, man, I want to bless this guy. 
can I give him some money? And they said, yes, but here's what's going to happen. You are going to offer him this money and he's going to tell you, no, I don't want it. See, it was so pervasive in this culture not to receive that they predicted it without even knowing this person, total stranger. They said, you're going to have to tell him, no, I want you to take this. I want you to have it. Sure enough, I met the guy. He comes rolling up in his car, comes out, hands me my passport. Man, thank you so much. Craig Sned was his name. And he handed me my passports. I'm like, man, I cannot tell you how thankful I am, how grateful. Do you, can I give this to you? And I pulled out, I don't know how much it was. It was a fistful, you know, and I'm trying to give it to him. Sure enough, you know what he did? No, no. So I had to stand there and argue with him until he would take it. We are so conditioned to not receive, to resist it. And we think it's humility, but it's not. It's actually the opposite. It's pride. And if you can't take a few bucks from a stranger saying thank you, how are you going to handle God saying, let me bless you, let me heal you, let me deliver you, let me prosper you, let me increase you, Oh, no. I don't take handouts. Well, you better get another God because ours is just handing stuff out. How good, at you, how good are you at receiving? Do you know who doesn't struggle with this? Kids. Kids are expert receivers. Anybody else notice that about your children? Never in the history of the world has a child ever said, nor has it been written of them, that somebody offered them a gift and they said, oh, no, I couldn't. I couldn't possibly. It's too much. It's too nice. No. I don't care where that kid is on this great big blue ball called earth. You pull a kid out from any continent on the face of this earth and you say, hey, I got something for you. And they put a hand out and say, thank you very much. <laughs> Children. Children are expert receivers. Do you remember what Jesus said about this? It was in the book of um, Matthew. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Jesus said, assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's telling us to be childlike, not childish. And there is a difference. He said, but you're going to have to be converted and be like one of them. And what are one of them? Expert receivers. Expert receivers. As a matter of fact, it takes a lot of years and a lot of wrong teaching to learn how to put up this fake false front of a false humility that says, oh, I couldn't. I can't. It's too much. It's too nice. If you look at what Jesus went on to say, right in the very next verse, he said, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So it's not humility to reject. It's humility to receive. Pride is a bad receiver. It's bad. This is why 
The Spirit of God said through Paul there in Ephesians chapter 2, you're saved by grace through faith, this not of yourselves, not of works, so that any man should boast. What's he saying? Hey, it's a gift. And the gift is to be received. You are not to receive Jesus and say, thanks God, this is awesome, I'll pay you back. The moment you are thinking and talking in terms of paying back, then it's no longer a gift. In your minds, you are owed it. You are deserving of it. And this is why the Spirit of God was so specific. Hey, listen, listen, this is a gift. You need to know this. I'm giving it to you, and it's a gift, and you didn't work for it. This is not of works, and there is no boasting in this. You cannot boast. It's not of works. Why would he have to say that? Because the nature, remember we talked about the nature? The nature of the flesh is pride. And pride wants to be able to look at what it has and say, look what I did. Look what I made. Look what I amassed. We all deal with this. We all know this feeling. Man, I deal with this just doing stuff around the house. There's just something that kind of swells up in me. If I do anything at all, handy. Because it's not often. Sarah bought us some new filters for our shower head. I installed them. All by myself. Yesterday. And they work. They, they work now. They, at first it was, it was a little wonky. But they work now. And there is this thing that just rises up on the inside. I'm a man. Look what I did. Look what I installed, right? Change that light bulb. You know I did. And there's this thing that rises up in the flesh, and it's called pride that wants to point at what you got and say, I made that. I, I, I have amassed this. And we do it with the bank account, we do it with the house, we do it with the car, we do it with the relationships. We want to look at what we have, and if it's good, we want to say, me, man, look what me have made. <laughs> I say it like that because that's got to be the way it sounds in the ears of God. So Neanderthal. So, so just gibbers, me, man, me make fire. What do you think it sounds like to God? Look at the living that I've made. God's like, oh, really? cute. There's no boasting in this. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, that took humility. Am I right? That took humility to say, uh, Jesus, um, I've been God, I've been Lord, and I made a mess. I need you to be. That takes humility. There's no boasting in this. It takes recognizing, I see what you're doing for me. It's not based on me. Not based on what I've worked for, earned, or deserve. It's a gift. Thank you. I receive it. But what is it that got into our thinking that caused us to be good with receiving that gift by faith, but then thinking anything else from God we got to earn? We got to deserve. It's not true. The Bible says that if he spared not his own son... How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Here's the great news. God is a giver and Jesus is the gift. But he ain't done giving. 
from the moment you were born again, that starts your walk with him. And what is that walk? Him given, you receiving. Him given, you receiving. Him given, you receiving. You made Jesus the Lord of your life. Wonderful. Now what? Hey, I've got a Holy Spirit for you to be baptized in. Well, okay, but how do I get him? I mean, is there a box to check? Is there a form to fill out? What do I have to do to deserve that? No, 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 stop it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace. This Holy Spirit is a gift of his grace. Okay, well, how? Huh? Surely it takes days and weeks and months of praying and fasting. No, you receive it. It's a gift of grace that you receive by faith. And you walk with him. And through the course of your walk, you feel something in your body. It's not right. It's a sickness. It's a disease. And you think, okay, Lord, what are we going to do about this? He says, oh, it's okay. I got a gift. I've got a gift for you. It's my grace. Okay, but how, what do I got to do to pay you for that? No, 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 no. Receive it. But when he offers it, can I just make a suggestion? Don't say to him, oh, I couldn't. It's too much, Lord. It's too nice. Thanks, but no. Stupid things people say. Now, I didn't say the people were stupid, okay? But we say things that are just stupid, not scriptural. Are you a good receiver? Children are our example in this. And he said, you're going to have to humble yourself like a child. Pride is a bad receiver. But let me tell you this. Go to the book of Mark with me, chapter 11. To another familiar scripture to you. Look at some things Jesus said about this. How to be a good receiver. Because if you're going to walk with God. You're going to have to learn how to be a receiver. Because he is not just a giver. The giver. In Mark chapter 11. It says in verse 24. Jesus is speaking. Therefore I say to you. Whatever things you ask. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Whatever things, when you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive and you'll have them. Now, I think if most people were to reinterpret this verse in a more modern way that that fits with most of what's being said from church platforms and pulpits all over the world, it would probably say something like, when you pray and you ask something, wait and see. And if you get it, then you'll know it was God's will for you to have it. And if you don't, then you'll know it wasn't his will for you to have it. In other words, they're saying, wait and see if you receive But what did Jesus say? What came first? What came before receiving? Believing. And you know this is true with your salvation. How were you born again? You believed in your heart. And you said with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That was grace through faith. Well, everything else in life works the exact same way. Whether it's receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving your healing, receiving wisdom, receiving restoration, receiving abundance, whatever it is, you've got to recognize this is God's grace and I receive it by faith or I receive it by first believing. I don't, be- I don't wait to see it before I believe it. I believe it first. Being a good receiver 
requires you to be a believer. You cannot be a receiver without first being a believer. Jesus put the emphasis here on believing and then receiving. And we know that believing comes before seeing because the book of Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. He said this in verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents if they drink anything deadly. It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What signs, uh, who do these signs follow? The skeptic, the doubter, the unbeliever, the questioner. No, the believer. These signs follow the believer. Laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. That's receiving the gift of God's grace of healing. What brought that in from the, from the unseen world into the seen world? It was somebody being a believer. You've got to be a believer. And when I talk about being a believer, I mean being quick to believe. I'm not talking about being gullible and just believing anything everybody says. But when it comes to the word of God. I'm talking about being quick to believe it. Whether your brain comprehends it all right there in that moment or not. Being quick to say, I believe that. I believe that. Jesus had told his disciples on so many different occasions. The son of man is going to have to go to the cross. He'll be crucified. He'll be dead. He'll be buried. He'll be raised again on the third day. He told them and he told them and he told them and he told them. And then when it all happened, they were so depressed and grieved. Why? Because he's dead and he's gone. And then the women went to the tomb and they saw the tomb was empty and they ran back and they told the disciples, he's risen. And they were like, you're crazy. He's not. He's dead. And finally, when Jesus came walking through the wall into the room, you would have thought that it would have been like, Jesus, oh, it's so good to see you. And Jesus would have been like, my brothers, my sisters. But you know what? He was mad. Read it for yourself. Jesus rebuked these guys. For what? Their unbelief. He's looking for faith. Come on, he's looking for faith. Church, you gonna let me preach this morning or what? We can teach and that's a good thing. But I got to preach on me a little bit today. He's looking for faith. It's what he's been looking for since time began. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? He's looking for somebody who believes. Why? Because a believer is a receiver. This is what so thrills him about finding a believer. Oh, I can finally get something into somebody's life because they'll take me at my word and believe me and that, that I'll do what I said I would do. He's looking for faith. Amen. Go to the book of Mark with me, chapter 9. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, starting verse 14. 
It says, when he came talking about Jesus to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? One from the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. This, this young boy is dealing with seizures. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered and said, oh, what? Faithless. Faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Don't you love Jesus? He's so cool. He's standing there, crowd of people around. They bring this boy, and immediately when that, that spirit driving this thing comes into the presence of Jesus, tries to show off, show out, throws him on the ground, this seizure hits him, and instead of panicking, Jesus goes, huh, how long has this been happening? It's like, well, what does it matter how long it's been happening? What's he showing? He's in control here. I'm not letting this thing push me around. How long has this been happening? The boy's father responded, said from childhood. And often he's thrown them both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But listen to this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And it sounds like a good prayer. And it's what I dare say most Christian people all over the world are praying today. If you can do this, Lord. Have compassion and help us. But I want you to notice what Jesus did. Man, he flipped the script on this guy. Jesus said to him, if you can believe. The guy said, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus said, if I can. It's if you can. Come on, are you listening to me? Jesus said, to him, it's not about what I can. Can you, if you can believe. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Or in other words, anybody can receive anything if they will believe. All things are receivable if you can believe it. And you know what this guy shouted out? I love it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And evidently... You can pray that because Jesus turned around and cast the spirit out of this young boy and he was healed right then and there. Where was the power in this man's prayer? Lord, I believe. And if there's anything in me that's not believing, I need your help with that. I don't want any unbelief in me whatsoever. Let's get rid of that trash. Let's get rid of that junk. I ain't unbelieving anymore. I believe. Help me with anything else. And Jesus said, I like it. I like it. You became a receiver when you became a believer. And he cast the spirit out of that boy. And he was healed. Thank you, Lord. Go to the book of Romans with me. Chapter four. Say it out loud. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Pray that today. Pray that. Be honest with the Lord about it. This is one of the things that makes you a good receiver. Honesty. Honesty. Lord, I got some unbelief in me. 
And I don't like it. I don't want it. And I'm asking for your help with it. Honesty. Be honest with God. He can work with anybody who'll just be honest with him. You can't fool him. You can't trick him. You can't hide a thing from him. So just be honest. Lord, I'm believing you, but I see some unbelief in here. I need your help with it. I want to look at Romans chapter 4 about another believer, a very famous believer, a man named Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, starting verse 1, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found concerning or according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Abraham did what? Believed Believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He did a lot of things. You go back and study this man's life and there were some wonderful works that came out of his life. But it wasn't the works first that justified him before God, it was Abraham believing God and him putting corresponding action to his faith. Does that make sense to you? Oh, he did some works, man. Every time God told him to do something, you know what he said? Okay. And I mean every time. No matter how big or small the request was, Abraham obeyed God. Well, all that means is he believed God. He trusted God. And God had finally found a man who would take him at his word. He'd finally found somebody that would just believe him. He'd probably been looking all over the earth for somebody that would just believe him. That would believe what he said. And man, the the guy he found that he wanted to be the father of many nations. You know how many kids this father of many nations had? Exactly zero. And yet God called him father of many nations. And you know what Abraham said? Okay. Believed him. Took him at his word. And the Bible says it was accounted to him for righteousness. And his righteousness was not according to his works. It was because he believed. Now verse 4 says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if you think you're earning something from God, your mentality is, God, you owe me. Is there anybody in here that would raise a hand and say that God came to you on your salvation day, knocking on your door, and when you answered, he said, wow, I tell you what, I'm impressed with you. You have just done it all right. You've kept every law. You've obeyed every statute. I am impressed. And you know what? I owe you some salvation. Anybody at all? Ushers, help me. Do we have any hands in here this morning that raised and said, God owed me salvation? No. I said, no. He didn't owe you anything. Oh, but he gave you everything as a gift. It's all a gift of his grace. How do you receive it? By faith. This isn't debt. God doesn't owe you. It's a gift of his grace. Now, fast forward to verse 13. It says, the promise... That he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, listen, verse 16, therefore it is of faith 
that it might be according to grace. So that the promise, he said, might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. Verse 17, as it's written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not, which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was written, so shall your descendants be. That's, I know that's a lot, but think about what he's saying here. God calls those things that be not, uh, those things that don't exist, those things that be not as though they were, as though they did. So he looked at this childless man, this old man and his old wife who couldn't have a baby when she was young. And he called them father, mother of many nations. And he said, that's what they are right now. With no kids, he called them the father the Abraham, the father of many nations. Not one day you will be. No, that's what you are right now. That's what you are right now. And what did Abraham say? Okay. Just believe God. Took him at his word. And he says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. The word hope literally means expectation. Did Abraham or Sarah have any natural reason to expect a child whatsoever? No, they're both way past the time in their life where that's possible anymore. And yet with no natural reason to expect, what was he doing? Expecting, believing. He called me father, I'm father. The man changed his name. A name that would mean father of many nations. What? He said so. He said so. And God's like, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it goes on to say in verse 20 that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. I love this right here. You ready? Verse 21. And being fully convinced. Fully convinced. I like the King James. It says fully persuaded. Abraham was like all the way persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform it. He was not just persuaded, fully persuaded. He did not waver in faith. Here's a big reason people have not been good receivers. It's the wavering. It's the back and the forth, the up and the down. Maybe it's God's will. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. I don't know. This preacher said that. Another preacher said this. Mama said this. I'm not quite sure. This is wavering in faith. And Abraham, who's our example of faith here, there was no wavering. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God all the way to the point where he got so persuaded that he was fully persuaded. Nothing left in him. With, if there had been any unbelief at any point, it was gone. He was fully persuaded. Fully. We've been talking airplanes this morning. A funny story I like to tell. My grandfather tells this. I mentioned to you, my grandfather's been flying airplanes for decades, most of his life. And he has a friend, a friend of his named Jesse Duplantis. I don't know if any of you know his friend. 
Well, Jesse Duplantis is another minister who travels all over the world, and his ministry has used their own airplanes for a lot of years, but he's always had pilots that have flown. Jesse's not a pilot. But Jesse came to my grandfather one day and said, Brother Copeland, my pilot's been letting me sit up front, and he said, you know what? I can almost land my airplane. And true to Kenneth Copeland's style, my granddad looked back at Jesse and said, Jesse, that's crashing. I can almost land. My grandfather said, what? That's crashing. Almost landing is the exact same thing as not landing, as crashing. You would not be comforted if you got aboard a commercial airliner and you're flying across the country and the pilot comes on over the PA and says, well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are about to take off uh, number one for departure and we'll be th- two hours and 34 minutes en route. And the good news is I can almost land. <laughs> Get me off this plane. Why? Because almost landing is what? Help me out. The exact same thing as not landing. Huh? There was uh, a king, King Agrippa, in the book of Acts that Paul stood before and began to preach the gospel to him. Preached hot, preached heavy, sweating, shouting, I'm sure, the spirit of God, the anointing on him. And man, you know he preached it right. And the king looked back at him and said, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Wow, isn't that good? The only problem is, Almost persuaded is the exact same thing as what? Not persuaded. Now, I know we're laughing, but let me ask you a serious question. Is anybody in heaven today because they were almost persuaded? They were almost persuaded to make Jesus their Lord. They were almost persuaded to believe that he died for them. Almost persuaded to believe that he rose again. Almost Almost persuaded is the exact same thing as an unbeliever. But then you get over here and you read about this man, this man, Abraham. And what do we find out about him? All while he was believing God, God called him the father of many nations. And it didn't happen the next day, the next week, month, or year. It was year after year after year after year of believing and believing and believing and believing and still not seeing anything and yet believing, believing, believing to the point where he became not almost persuaded, fully persuaded. God's looking for some fully persuaded believers. Why? Because those are the people that make good receivers. Are you a good receiver. Well, it starts with being a believer and not just believing that Jesus died and was raised again. Praise God if you believe that. But what do you believe now about God's will for your life? What do you believe now about his desire to bless? What do you believe now about his desire to heal? What do you believe now about his desire to give you the wisdom that you need in your business, in your family, in your finances? Because if you don't believe that he wants you to have it, you're not a good receiver. He'll stand there with it and hold it out to you and say, here, it's a gift. And you'll go, oh, Lord, I couldn't. It's too much. It's too nice. I can't take that. And you know what he'll say? Yes, you can. Hold out your hand, only it's going to be like this. Open up your heart and receive it. You can take it. No, no, I couldn't. Stupid things people say. I can 
I can receive that. And you might be thinking, oh, that's too good for me. But it's not too good for Jesus. It's not too much for Jesus. And when God's blessing you, you are in Jesus. So it really doesn't even have anything to do with you. You're just a believer in him. And there's nothing he wouldn't do for Jesus. There's nothing he wouldn't do for Jesus. I'm looking this morning, I believe, at a church full of expert receivers. Is that you today? Would you stand up with me? Hold up a hand and say, I'm an expert receiver. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.